Welcome, friends, to the Someone Gets Me podcast. I am your host, Diane Allen, and I am so delighted that you're here. This podcast was created because I believe there is a visionary leader inside each one of us who is waiting to be seen. In each episode of Someone Gets Me, you will hear useful tips from successful visionaries who will share their stories about how being seen has allowed them to take their vision out into the world with action. Meeting yourself again for the first time, how to pick yourself up with our guest today, China Forbes. So China is an amazing woman and she's a multi-potentialite. She went to Harvard University and graduated cum laude and won awards in acting. She's an amazing singer, songwriter, and vocalist, and she sings with the band Pink Martini. And when you hear her voice, you will melt. But in addition to that, she's got a great sense of humor. She loves words, and she's very gifted and bright. So we're going to talk to China today about how to meet yourself again for the first time. How's that even work? And part of her life story and whatever else we come up with. So welcome, China, to the show. Thanks, Diane. It's so great to be here. <laughs> I'm so excited that you're here because I love to talk to people who have had interesting journeys and have come out on the other side of some of the interesting challenges of life and can see their own resilience and their own strength, like kind of on the reverse side of their own process. But I'd like to start before we get there with a little bit about how you got where you are. Like, I know you went to Harvard and you're from Massachusetts. I know that. I know you currently live in Oregon. I have family there. But how did you get started in music? Like, you won an award in acting. Like, I'd, like, I'd love to know, like, how that all worked. It just sounds very exciting. Well, let's just say I was not a child performer, but I did know at age eight that I wanted to be a singer. Ooh. And the reason I knew is because I bought my first album with my own money and it was Donna Summer Live and More. And if you know that album, because I know you like music from the 70s, um, it was a trifold album. So it had a lot of pictures mm -hmm. of Donna Summer in a like feathers and glittery eyeshadow and gorgeous and on stage with her daughter and, you know, all of these beautiful pictures. And I just, I just, I don't know if it, it imprinted, you know, the imprint thing, like right. I imprinted on that or that imprinted on me. I never understand how that works, but it made a huge impression. Mm -hmm. And um, I felt like that's what I want to be. I'm going to be that someday. But then I didn't go about becoming that for a very, very long time. But you knew, you still knew, knew when you were young. In my heart, I knew, but I didn't start going on talent shows and being, you know, a cutesy right. child performer. In fact, I was always shy when people would ask me to sing. I would not want to. Mm -hmm. um, I would sing all the time to myself, but I didn't want to perform for others. And then um, I picked up the guitar that was in the living room, which had maybe three strings that was broken and sitting there dusty. And I taught myself how to play guitar and started writing songs. And that was when mm -hmm. I was probably 13. Mm -hmm. And we also had a really out of tune piano and I would make up songs on the piano. And all of that was just coming from, you know, just coming from me. It wasn't like someone was 
instructing me in any of these things. Although my parents did have a really good record collection and my sister and I always were listening to musicals and um, Bob Dylan, the Beatles, Fleetwood Mac, everything amazing from that time period. Um, And so we were definitely surrounded by music, but I just started writing songs and, you know, I had a very unusual childhood. Um, My mother and father divorced, split up when I was five and my mother moved to New York when I was eight and left my sister and me with my dad. And all of this is depicted in a movie my sister made called Infinitely Polar Bear, which Mm -hmm. stars Mark Ruffalo and Zoe Saldana. And it came out in 2014. And um, my sister made this movie. This was her way of processing our childhood. My way has been songwriting. So um, when my mom left, that's I think why Donna Summer seared so much on me, on my soul, because my mother kind of looked like Donna Summer-ish. And I kind of felt like that's that'll be my mother figure. I'll just listen to these records. And she was that for me. So anyway, I just started writing my feelings and it was always how I dealt with my emotions all my life. And I think it's been an incredible partner or companion for me, the songwriting. And I don't even know how anyone goes through life without it because where do you put all of that stuff? And how nice to put it into something that's ultimately a beautiful thing, like a piece of music. So I like turning my sadness into beauty. And it's universal connection, right? Because we've all had all that different kinds of sadness and challenges. And but yet when it comes through in song, it's like the music makes it to me like heart to heart. It, it bypasses the brain somehow. Yes. And it's just I'm getting goosebumps talking to you. It's just like it's just that like raw connection that's so universal. There's there's no words. Right. And, it, yeah. and that's why people who like my aunt had a stroke and she struggles to speak but when I get her singing a song she can sing it as if there's not a you know no interruption she sings the whole thing so where in the brain this song is mm-hmm. is not where that we speak from you know right and so it, it is more like a, a heart place in the brain yes and so you write your music from your heart mm-hmm. and it can't help but connect in that really cool way right because someone else hasn't tapped into that in a verbal way but when they hear the song it goes straight to their heart too and it's like it unlocks the things that we don't even know we're feeling or we haven't yet put into words exactly that's that's so powerful so how did what drew you to go to harvard other than living in massachusetts and Oh my god i I just i I just think it's a great story i i like because a lot of people and 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 I know this is a big error, but I'm asking the question for a reason. And that is that a lot of people, because I work with musicians almost exclusively and or music people who are musical. Most of them are professional musicians. But I so many people think, oh, well, they're just, you know, it's just something easy and it's this and that. And they don't realize the gifted and the intelligence and the emotional integrity and all those things that it really takes to be a quality, good musician like you. So mm-hmm. let's talk about what drew you to Harvard, because Going to Harvard and graduating cum laude is not, it's not wimpy. Yeah. I don't know how I graduated cum laude. It's a miracle. Um, I went to Harvard because it's sort of like, 
I mean, this is why if you're privileged and you're in an environment, a certain environment, you kind of start going with the tide and you flow towards more opportunities. Mm -hmm. And we were in public school as children and in I was in a terrible public school at one point. And my mother, when she left to go to New York, was hell bent on making money so she could send us to a good private school. And she did that. And it did change the course of our lives. So my father had gone to Harvard, but he got kicked out. And um, <laughs> so it doesn't really help you get in. Um, but, but my sister is old, two years older than me. And she went to Harvard. I just kind of followed my sister, quite frankly. Um, mm -hmm. I followed her to Exeter Academy, which was an amazing boarding school. And then to Harvard. And I'm a little bit lazy academically. So I applied to Harvard early and I got in, so I didn't apply anywhere else. And I just went to Harvard and I knew, I mean, I knew I wanted to go there and it's my hometown, but I had lived in New Hampshire for three years for boarding school. So it was kind of fun to come back as a more of a grown up. Um, and I went to Harvard and just kind of following my sister. But what I really, really wanted to do was music and acting and I wanted to start auditioning for shows in the drama department. And I was also a painter, so I majored in art. So I really wasn't in the right school. It's not a place to go to become a painter. It's not a place to go to major in acting because they didn't even allow you to do that. It was all extracurricular. So everything I did was, was not like not a Harvard thing to do. It wasn't bringing, it wasn't tapping into what Harvard has to offer, but I did, that's what I wanted to do. So I, I got there and I immediately auditioned for all the shows in the fall. And I got an amazing part in the biggest musical Evita, which was yeah. happening on the main stage with, you know, a superstar actress from the senior class playing Ava Peron. I, I was a freshman I got the second best part, which was the mistress and the mistress sings a solo song on a suitcase alone on stage. So it's this huge production and then everyone's gone and it's just me on a suitcase singing this beautiful song called another suitcase in another hall. And I, I got that part and it just sort of, I can't even believe that I was bold enough to go for these parts. I mean, right now I feel embarrassed even thinking about auditioning, but I did. And I got this part and then it was like, I got a great review and then I got more parts. And I just did theater the whole time I was at Harvard, all extracurricularly. And then I was also in bands and I was writing songs and recording them on the camp in the campus um, recording studio. And so, and painting. And so it was just all art for me. I should have been at Berkeley or some other school, Berkeley School of Music. So, so you were at Harvard and it was the extracurriculars that really kept you fed. Yeah. And then I, I love it. Classes. <laughs> but see, you know what I love about that? I love it. There's so much about that story I love. But one of it is, is like most people have multi-talents like you do. It's like we don't really follow the rules. And people might think we follow the rules and we could look like we kind of follow the rules. But if you really pay attention, we're not always following the rules, which I think helps us be resilient and pick ourselves up when stuff happens because we can be creative and have all these different qualities. So you use that creativity and not following the rules to your benefit. I think that's great. Yeah, I had I had a client one time who went to Princeton 
and launched his band from there and, and did all the extracurricular music things and hardly remembers what he studied at Princeton because he was doing the music, all the extracurricular music things. So <laughs> I'm my like, fam- I love it. My famous Harvard stories though are um, when I had to take the economics 10, intro to economics, Ec 10, which was a core class. Um, I don't know. I may have been able to take something else. I don't know why I chose this because I was terrible at economics. And my friend Jason, who was a genius, like an economics whiz kid, tutored me and got me to get, you know, a B or whatever. And later Jason went on to be Obama's uh, chief economic advisor. And now Jason Furman is back at Harvard teaching that class that he tutored me in when we were both students. So he's an incredible person. And he, I feel so lucky to have been tutored out of failing by G- the Jason Furman. Wow. That is so cool. Like talk about coming full circle for somebody, right? Like, right. He just <laughs> like this. It's so really fun. And so you stayed in all these creative things and then, and you did some work on your own before you joined Pink Martini. How, how was all yeah. that? So what happened was um, I graduated and moved to New York right away. And um, I was lucky because, you know, the caveat to my mother moving away when I was eight years old and not having her every day in my life. When I graduated, I moved in with her in New York and lived. we were roommates for three years. So that was this lovely sort of time to get to spend more time together and a really lovely time to live for free in New York. It was great for me. So I started auditioning for plays and musicals and I I got a play, a musical right away called Once on This Island. And I did that and I got my equity card. And then I was doing theater for the next three to two to three years. But over that time, I started to see the other actors in the companies that I was with. And Mm -hmm. they would be all different ages. I was 23, 22, whatever. They might have been in their 50s. And I just thought, oh, my God, they're in their 50s and they're still auditioning like this and doing these productions, that's not what I want. I just felt like if you don't, you have to do that your whole life, you have to want it and love it so much. And I just felt like I didn't want that life. So I I decided to just focus on music. And I started playing in clubs in New York with my guitar solo with a couple of other people. Then I put a band together. I was, um, asked to sing the theme song to the TV show Clueless, which came out in the mid nineties. Uh-huh. Super fun. Cause I got to record with this producer and go to LA and make a video. And that was really, really fun because my friend from the mighty, mighty boss tones um, had kind of linked me in with this project. So that was cool. And then I really, I made a solo album that I released in 1995 called love handle. And that was on a small indie label and practically nobody knows about it, (laughs) but I really like it. It's, it's holding up. I think it's holding up 26 years later. That's great. I mean, it's quarter of a century old already. I know. And, and it's like, wow, you know, and I just love the progression and everything. And so how, and so your, your friend brought you to pink martini, right? Like kind of plucked you out of what you were doing. So, um, Backing up when I was at Harvard, I used to um, 
collaborate with my friend Thomas. He was a pianist and he, he knew I wanted to sing opera just for fun. And so he would accompany me and I would sing arias by Puccini in the common room of our dorm. And we had this sort of late night opera club, the two of us. And then I would make him laugh in the dining hall. I would do impressions and I made like, I just used to make him laugh a lot. So three years after graduation, he was in Portland, Oregon, and he had started this band Pink Martini and he didn't have the right singer. And so he thought, oh my God, China, she sings and she's funny. And like, I want to get in touch with her. So he found my number and, and, and contacted me out of the blue and and urged me to come to Portland, Oregon, which was really far away to sing that weekend with this band. And it was music I had no frame of reference for. I mean, I was doing like, you know, Cheryl Crow kind of music. And then the, here comes Amato Mio, Que Sera Sera, all of this retro cocktail stuff mm-hmm. and other stuff. Um, so it was, it was definitely a bizarre thing to do, but I did it. And I went to Portland. Thomas is so persuasive. Um, I went to Portland back for the weekend and it just sort of, I met all these people. I did the shows. It was actually really fun. I learned all of this new music and this new style of music. And, and I think because of my theater background, it sort of came easily to me to sing in any style. Um, And, and then I went back to New York and he asked me to come back and then he kept asking me back. And finally he wore me down and I moved to Portland. Mm. Where you live now and tour with Pink Martinis. Yes. Because you're getting ready to go out on tour and um, I can't wait to see you guys live. And so but you write a, long, a song still for Pink Martini. Mm-hmm. And uh, tell us a little bit about the Lemonade song. Now, the Lemonade song, for all of you guys who've not heard it, we'll put a link to it in the show notes. I'll have to put a link to the YouTube in the show notes, which is, it's genius, actually. And the lyrics were amazing. And and there's like a couple million streams on Spotify already of it. And and it's like a lot. And so, but it's beautiful. It has this orchestra slash 40 slash pop vibe to it. Your voice is just... Uh, scrumptious it's delicious it's great and my mother was a pianist and I'm around musicians a lot and um, I know a really good voice when I hear it like I don't possess the good voice but I know what it looks like when I hear it right Uh, and and so tell us about that limited song that song was so much fun so basically over the years Thomas and I wrote a lot of songs together but then as what you know, happen, what can happen with collaboration, we kind of chafed at the the concessions we each had to make when we would collaborate. Whether it be, I don't like that melody, and the other person loved that melody, and somebody had to get something had to give. And so, I think we were both a bit wounded by the process, mm-hmm. and so we we kind of stopped writing for a period of time, a period of years, many years. And last two years ago, um, we decided to try to write with a third writer. And this guy, Jim Bianco, uh, came to Portland and worked with us. We had one day to write a song. And it was, I mean, I love moving quickly. I hate getting bogged down 
I don't like taking breaks. I hate when everyone's like, let's take another break and stop the momentum because it's really hard for me to get the momentum back. So this was amazing because it was like Thomas, Jim and and me at, at my piano and ideas were flowing. I was taking notes. Everybody had a role. It was amazing chemistry. We wrote this song together called Let's Be Friends. And then the next day we recorded it and that was done. And then we were, we asked him to come back. So when he came back, this is when we wrote the lemonade song. Um, it, we were so excited because it had gone so well the last time. And, you know, it's the hardest part is the very beginning of like, where do we begin? You know, do we start with this melody that I wrote before? Or do we start with something we just made up now or, and we, so everything was just like on the spot fresh and we, we started working on a melody and then working on lyrics. And then it was so much fun to work on the lyrics because the three of us kind of whittled it down to the best possible lyric. Whereas when you're writing on your own, you might think, okay, I'm at the best lyric. And then maybe another person would have gotten you to a better place, but they're not there, you know, right. <laughs> but this, you had that triang triangle of, influence and we're just like honing down like whittle 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 and it was so clever and it was just like working like a charm and it was weird it just went so well and then we recorded that song the next day too and so it was just two days for each song to be till they were finished and the rest is history Yes, it's a great song. So all of you all, I will put a link to the Lemonade song in the show notes and, and some other links so you can appreciate China's talent, her wit, and uh, her vocal ability and her songwriting ability. It's really fascinating and really great. So let's talk a little bit about picking ourselves back up and like meeting ourselves again for the first time. Like, like I always use the slinky. You know, like I always tell everybody, it's where life is like a slinky. It's like a big spiral and we grow and grow and grow. And when we feel like we're back at the same place, we are, but we're different people. We're in a different spot. And talk to us a little bit about your belief about that, how you've experienced that in your own life. Well, I just, I see that everywhere for myself and everyone around me. It's just like, isn't it? It's this amazing, I'm in awe of it, just that we all do we do our lives and it's really hard and it can be really amazing and super hard and challenging. And, and then it's like that thing where you're like, Oh my God, I finally got there. I have, I I'm in love. I have, you know, I love where I live. I have a child or whatever. You're like, everything's great, but you know, it's not going to stay great because it can't ever stay great forever. And then suddenly you're like, I'll never be, I'll never be lonely again. And then you're, you break up your relationship and you're back to where you were before in that place where you're like, I thought I'd never be here again. So that was one thing that inspired me when I was writing my song full circle. Um, and the part, it was weird because I started writing the song and I even had the chorus of you go hail Mary. I go half Nelson, you know, all of those lyrics in the chorus. Um, but then the person I was with broke up with me right after I started writing the song. And so I wrote, I had to write the rest of the song after being broken up with when I had thought I was with somebody. So it was like the perfect moment to explore this, this feeling of like, you know, you, you thought you were in one place and now you're back where you started. So um, 
I just, I think it's important to always keep in mind that it's good that things are changing. You don't want them to be stagnant and that nothing good can last forever and nothing bad will last forever. So it helps you in those moments where you're like, this is the worst and it will never change. And it's like, no, you will come through this. You will be happy again. You will get through this, which is important to know when you're suicidal or depressed um, you or when you're a new mother and you feel like my life is changed forever and I don't know how to do this and it will never be the way it was again. And you, then like three months later, you realize, oh, the baby's in a different place now and it's a different set of challenges, but I'm okay. Like I, I, I just, I, I hate for people to think things are permanent, you know? Right. Cause it's always moving. Like life is on a sine wave, you know? And so, but it feels like we're stuck when we're in those spots, right. You know, those really intense spots or those really high highs, you know, I never want to come off the top of the mountain. Well, we, right. we're, we're still traveling through this mountain range, you know? Right. And, and then, and the or, fact, or, Oh, sorry. But the fact that the peak of the mountain is so beautiful because you can't stay there. Mm-hmm. So you have to embrace the fact that it can't last and enjoy why it's so amazing right exactly yeah and then when you go through whatever the next experience is at the peak of the next mountain is even more beautiful differently it's the same but different and it's really cool cool way and and i love how you speak to that essence in your music and in your life you know i love how you speak to that i think it's it's really valuable to use our creativity and our intelligence and all of the aspects of ourselves to just keep reminding ourselves that it's always changing. The only constants change. Socrates said that, right? So it's like, okay, we just keep on going. And I love that you bring it through music. So everybody be listening to China Forbes. I know you're loving her as much as I am. So check her out in the show notes and download some of her music and you will be really glad you did. You'll thank me later, I promise. And go see her in concert because they have a ton of shows coming up and tour soon. Now, I have a few extra questions that I would like to ask you before we end the show. But before I get there, is there anything you wanted to share today or something on your heart now that you wanted to make sure you shared with everybody before I kind of ask the final questions of the show? Well, just, um, I guess, just coming out of of this quarantine time, um, I hope that everyone is okay. I hope that people are able to reconnect again and that people can reflect on their time during COVID um, and see what good things did come out of it as well as the hard, horrible things that came out of it. Um, And just we're excited that like people are coming out to see our shows again, Mm -hmm. Um, but that I hope that everyone stays safe. Gets vaccinated. Yeah, and there's there's an interesting, it's an interesting thing, you know, because musicians want to do their craft. The audience wants to soak in the beauty that you bring. And it's a great connection. And, and it's been sorely missed by everybody I know and by everybody, the musicians I know, the audience people I know, like everybody, like that's, I think it's universal. So I'm really glad that, we're starting to be able to enjoy live performance again, because I think that it's been a really tricky, angsty time for everybody. 
So if somebody was listening to us right now and they're thinking, well, she's so creative and she went to Harvard and she's so smart and I'm not sure I can do it. And they have that kind of self-doubt and they're holding themselves back and they're feeling kind of stuck because of it. Do you have any words of wisdom for that person who might be holding themselves back with their own inner doubt? I can relate to that. Um, I, I mean, I'm not the best person <laughs> to advise on that because I am so, there's so many things I would like to do that I have not done. There's so many projects that I'm in the middle of that I have not finished. I sort of get in my own way and, and it take forever. Like I've been working on a solo album forever and it's sort of like what, I mean, I know it's, I'm traveling again and it's hard, but why can't I finish this record? You know? So I guess I want that. I want you to tell me what to do because I don't know what to tell that other person. Um, you know, I guess it's easier to give advice to someone else than to tell yourself what to do. So I will try. You need to not care what anyone thinks. You need to dedicate time every day to doing your craft. You need to trust that no one else is you and don't compare yourself to others. And you need to maybe get the focus off of yourself because that self-consciousness is paralyzing and think, okay, it's not about me and, oh my God, I can't do anything. It's like, how do I give my gift to the world? And the world needs what I have to say. And so focus on them and not yourself. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. See, <laughs> now I'm going to go well, now go do it, right? And so, and so my little um, add-on for that, especially when it comes to your solo album, is that there's a thing called Parkinson's Law. It's an English economics term from England. And it says that work expands to the amount of time allotted. So when we want to get something done, us creative, especially creative gifted visionary people, because we have so many projects all going at the same time, and we could add more if we were allowed. Mm -hmm. is to give ourselves what I call a divine line. Other people say deadline. I don't like that word. A divine line. Like, okay, like I'm writing my eighth book right now. And I gave myself a date. It's in the calendar that we will have it to the editor. And then a date, it will be out. Mm. Because until I did that, put the date with the line, like here's the line in the concrete, practically. It's just dragging on and on and on and on and on. So you may want to, while you're, thinking about it, go, okay, realistically, what's a good date? Like, and give yourself an end because your brain will be able to wrap itself around that and then be able to map it out. Mm -hmm. When we leave it open-ended, our creative genius will think of a gazillion other things to add in the middle. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and they're all wonderful. <laughs> but then there's that part of us going, man, I really just want to get that album out. Or I really want to get that book done. Or can I just do this? <laughs> So there you go. Um, okay. That's what I would say. Give yourself, give yourself a time, you know, a time frame, a, a paradigm of like, okay, this is, this is what it's going to take and be realistic, but right. also give yourself permission to say, okay, I'm going to honor that to the best of my ability mm -hmm. and go with it. Okay. So there you have it. Okay, I'm good. Do yeah, do it. And I can't wait to hear it, you know, <laughs> and I, because I, I think it's wonderful. So what, what is the most memorable food you've eaten in all your travels and all of your exciting life? The food that when you think back, it had, has the most memorable energy to it. 
Well, immediately I think of this moment in Turkey where, I mean, I love dessert too much. We were in Turkey and we always eat huge feasts while we're there because our, our promoter, you know, is the hospitality is incredible. The food is incredible. It's just one platter after another of amazing dinner food. But then this one night we went to this place after the show and we're given a dessert called Irmik Kelvasa. And I always loved cream of wheat when I was growing up. This was like cream of wheat with butter and cinnamon and sugar in it. And, and then served with balls of sour cream ice cream. So you have this like ball of cream of wheat, like it's sort of meat, like a semolina, basically. It's a semolina. And then with ice cream. And the two things, the warm semolina and the cold ice cream and the cinnamon pine nuts were in there. It just, I'll never forget it. And then of course they tried to find it for me again. It was never as good as that first time. I mean, it's always good, but that one time we first had it was incredible. Oh, wow. My, my mouth is watering hearing that. It just sounds so delicious. <laughs> oh my God. That's the first one that comes to mind. Great. What do you do to handle stress in your life? How do you, how do you take care of China? Like you travel, you have a lot going on. What are some things, things that you do to help kind of decompress the stress level in your system? If, well, the best way is to play the piano mm -hmm. um, and sing, but I don't always have a piano nearby. So when I'm traveling, that's hard. Um, I, I don't, I'm really bad about routine. Um, so I keep thinking I'm going to meditate and make it a routine. And then I don't, you know, or I can do a breathing exercise. I mean, if I'm really panicked, I would do a, like count my breaths and hold them a certain amount of time. But um, I don't think I manage stress that well. I don't have a great uh, technique for that. The thing that's weird to me is I don't drink alcohol or smoke cigarettes or do drugs. So in the music business, I feel like most people do that to manage their stress, you know? So where is it going? Where's my stress going? <laughs> well, it's probably in your humor and in your connection and in your singing and in your mindset. Looking for the good in things naturally helps moderate a lot of stress. So I think it's, yeah. you know... Having the the right atti attitude, mm -hmm. yeah. um, but I, I you know I do, I talk to myself. I think that's what I do. I sort yeah. of fuck myself up. I'm like, good job, Chines. Like you just did that, and it was good. You know, <laughs> way to go. Like I just sort of cheer myself up that way, and mm -hmm. I and I put one foot in front of the other and sort of say, okay, now I'm going to do this. No, 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 because I do. I come and go so quickly in my house. I'm I'm a single mom. I have a house of my own to take care of. And it just feels like you come back from a trip and there's so many other things to take care of, but you don't have time to do the things you need to do to get ready for the next trip. So I find myself in that position a lot. And I do kind of just need to talk to myself. I think that that's how I get it out. Yes. And that's a really effective way to do it. That is cheering yourself, but talking to yourself with affirming and positive and forward thinking language, not like, yeah. oh my God, this is terrible language, right? <laughs> yeah, that's great. 
So China, I know that you have a new song coming out soon that really addresses a big issue and that's suicide. Now, I'm a mental health professional and have been for 40 years and used to do suicide prevention. And I work a lot with all different kinds of groups of people. And so you're doing some some music for that. And tell us a little bit about the song and the inspiration for that song. So I wrote this song um, after my bandmate, Derek Reith, died by suicide. And Derek had been struggling for many years with his mental state and various addictions. And he, he was just in such distress. And the, and the last time I saw him, the band was heading out on a tour. I wasn't going with them that time. And, and he seemed so sad that I wrote him, a, I texted him before his plane took off sort of a list of, of imagery that I thought would help him. And it, it said, um, I said, rise to the surface of the water so you can feel the sun on your face again. Um, just let go and stop resisting and rise up. Like the way you would tell someone who's drowning, like stop struggling, just float on your back. That just right. came to me. So I, I told, I t- gave him this list he went on off on this tour. Things got really bad. He ended up being sent home early. And then before I could ever see him again, he took his own life. Mm-hmm. I'm so and sorry. It was just so awful. He was the most lovable person. And um, and so I, 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 I was looking for pictures of him and our last texts. I was, you know, combing through everything I had to sort of see what we last said to each other and I saw that list and it just looked like lyrics of a song. And I immediately felt like I needed to write this song. So I wrote a song called rise and with that first line rise, rise to the surface of the water. So you can feel the sun on your face again. And I performed it at a TEDx here in Portland um, and talked about Derek and it was amazing. Cause I, I, at the end of the song, there's sort of this uplifting chorus and I had the whole 3000 people sing it with me and it was just mm-hmm. a beautiful moment and it was cathartic. And, and so I just felt like this song was, it's like my words did not succeed in helping him, but I felt that they could help someone else who was struggling with these thoughts. So I really want my song to get out there. Um, as usual, I've been sitting on it for six, five, six years. Um, but it's now coming out. So it's coming out either within Suicide Prevention Awareness Month of September or Mental Health Awareness Month of October. It's going to probably come in, come out. Knowing me, it'll come out in Mental Health Awareness Month of October, because I'm trying to get everything done and another video that I have to make. And, you know, but um, I just really, I do believe that this song will help people. I believe it will too. And like we started the interview with Heart to Heart, that music somehow transcends that human pain and touches people in ways that are not describable in words. Mm-hmm. But yet there's lyrics and words. It's just, it's a magical kind of thing. And so the song is called Rise. And uh, we will 
put the links in the show notes for them when you give them to us, even if the show's out a little before, we'll add them. Whatever we can do to support you here, I I totally have got your back on that. I will help you with that. But thank you very much for doing that and writing that song. Do you want to share any of it? You want to sing any of it? Oh. Um, it goes, rise, rise to the surface of the water so you can feel the sun on your face again. I can't believe I'll never meet your son or your daughter or be the one to remind you you've got a friend. Mm. <laughs> Beautiful. 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 Thank you so much. Thank you. So I have one last final question, and it's the, it's the question that I end almost every show with, and that's one of my favorites to ask everybody. And that is, if we were going to put a billboard up that the whole world would see with a quote that would say China Forbes at the bottom, what would that billboard say? Oh, my God. Not too hard a question. Hmm, let's see. Um well, would it be what uh, the line from my song Full Circle, which I keep quoting, but it's a long line. It's kind of It'd be whatever you'd like. Um, your billboard. Well, I guess, well, maybe I'll just say, do what scares you. Do what scares you. I love that. I love that. <laughs> do what scares you. I love that. See, oh, I knew it would be brilliant. I knew it would be brilliant. <laughs> oh, my God. We could talk forever. And I so appreciate you taking your time out of your life, getting ready to go back out on the road to, to talk to us as someone gets me and let us get to know you and be inspired by you. So thank you so much, China, for being on the show. Thank you, Diane. I, have, I hope you have a great rest of summer. Yes, you too. And, and have fun I'm on your travels. So remember, everybody, keep your face to the sun so the shadows fall behind you because you're a rock star and you're here on purpose with a purpose. So go out there and do what scares you, as China says. Go out there and live your heart's desire. And until the next episode of Someone Gets Me, be well. Thank you for listening. I trust you gained some valuable inspiration and information. Please join me and other visionaries in the Someone Gets Me Facebook group. Or for more information on my services and additional episodes, visit someonegetsme.com. Again, thanks for listening.